Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hi everyone, welcome to our Stem Cells at Lunch Digested podcast. Um, I'm Jana Biden. I'm a first year PhD student here at the Centre and I'm also in the Department of Research Oncology where I work on CAR T-cell therapy for solid tumours. And today we're joined here by Dr. William Gray, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the Hematopoietic Stem Cell Laboratory at the Francis Crick Institute. So I think firstly, uh, Bill, do you want to just tell us a bit about your kind of career choices and what's led you to the position that you are um, at today? Sure. Thanks for thanks for having me on. So yeah, you said I'm a, I'm a postdoc at the Crick Institute. I actually did my PhD at King's in the Department of Medical and Molecular Genetics, where I guess my interest in, in hematopoiesis or what's commonly known as the blood system developed. Before that I, I did an undergraduate degree in Birmingham University. I, I was interested in, in all the sciences and biological sciences and took a relatively straightforward route into, into science doing an undergraduate, a PhD and now a postdoc. Um, my interests generally lie in what makes a cell do what it does but really looking at a specific subset of things and their, their proteins in a cell. So not looking at necessarily too much genetic information, not really looking at too much uh, regulation of that, looking at what happens to really the proteins in a cell that causes how it functions. I think one of the, the most exciting questions is to describe to us your most exciting discovery or you know what's, what's kind of like your niche um, topic, your niche field. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure any of my discoveries are really that exciting compared to, to people I've heard on uh, previous episodes of this. My career is relatively in its infancy, but I guess the most recent thing which I'll be talking about today is looking at the way that the stem cells of our blood system, so the cells that go on to form our entire blood system, work and understanding the protein dynamics in these cells. And what we've applied that to um, is using umbilical cord-derived blood, so something that's medical waste at birth, and how we can kind of turn this into a really, really great source for bone marrow transplantation, which is really important. Um, it's a really important regenerative approach in medicine. But when you think about all the new frontiers in, in genetic engineering and design, you know, maybe we can start saying that if we can improve these cells and improve their survival and their health, we can start treating genetic illnesses with, with genome editing approaches. So, you know, things, um, things are taking off from there and we hope it's going to be something really interesting that would have a kind of a, a clinical um, output pretty soon. Could you maybe um, describe that process of how you get from having umbilical cord blood into a kind of therapeutic agent? Um, how do you go from there? Yeah, so um, in at least in the UK, uh, you can you can opt in to donate your umbilical cord blood to uh, research purposes, like like for us at the Francis Crick Institute. Uh, the charity Anthony Nolan um, actually banks quite a lot of both umbilical cord blood, bone marrow, um, and you know when people need that that sort of regenerative approach. So anybody who's had total body irradiation, maybe for cancer. Um, or in acute myeloid leukemia, another interest of the lab, one of the gold standard therapies really is bone marrow transplantation as a curative approach. Um, so in, in other countries, they, they take it as, as a standard for every pregnancy, they have overflowing biobanks, but really it's not, a, um, it's not a viable source so much yet. But what I'm gonna talk about today is gonna sort of explain how we're trying to make it a more, a more useful source. But it, we, we encourage anybody who talks to us about this that 
if you get the opportunity to to bank your umbilical cord blood, you can donate it to research. You could donate it to Anthony Nolan. It, it can really go a long way to help a, a lot of people in the future. So you say that it's not only for treating things like leukemia, but it can also be used to treat kind of rare genetic diseases and um, things like other kind of disorders. Yeah. So, I mean, at, the interesting thing is bone marrow transplantation was basically the first regenerative approach used in, in the clinic. So people who could have accidental um, uh, total body irradiation um, were, well, if from, from multiple sources, but you know, you can imagine say the Chernobyl disaster, things like that, they, they all essentially, their blood system will fail after that. It's one of the sort of easiest systems to, to, to kill off. And so since before I was born, people have been using it as a transplantation method to reconstitute your blood system. Um, there's lots of really interesting new approaches in uh, designing new T cells that can attack malignant cells. Um, there's lots of genetic disorders such as say sickle cell anemia, which are inherited, which we could maybe um, take the blood stem cells. And if we can maintain them and grow them and keep them healthy, we can maybe engineer them to go back to normal. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of issues like that, which, you know, with, with these sort of approaches developing, we could maybe Im improve the outcome of. Mm -hmm. I guess you don't you focus on the kind of just the whole use of these uh, stem cells for all sorts of um, therapeutic purposes. But in terms of kind of cancer therapy, um, do you think we'll ever be able to have some kind of prophylactic therapy to kind of prevent um, these stem cells from becoming cancer cells? Yeah. So really interestingly, um, quite recently, uh, a group in America have, uh, have been showing that some of the new molecules that have been designed to, to attack things like acute myeloid leukemia, um, even though they don't seem to be extremely good at attacking your disease as you acutely enter the clinic, there are these um, groups of patients that they call them CHIP patients, which is short for clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential, which is a really complex way of saying you have some mutations that aren't making you sick now, but might make you sick in the future. And we're a bit concerned about you. And there are uh, familiar inherited disorders in, in leukemia as well. And they're showing that if they give these inhibitors very, very early on, at least in uh, mouse models of the disease, they can actually prevent um, the transformation into leukemia. And that's something that we're also quite interested in in the lab as well, this sort of pre-leukemic state or this pre-cancerous state and how it can transform. And you know, one of the, one of the big worries specifically in the field of people working on pre-leukemic states is uh, infection and inflammation can can lead to a much, much quicker transformation into something malignant. And with COVID-19 and, and other things that have been flying around with, you know, the, the SARS and the MERS before that, you know, it's becoming a lot more of a, a realistic proposition that a lot of people who could be sort of pre-leukemic could be transforming in the near future. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, quite an exciting discovery. <laughs> Just heading back to something you were saying earlier, you say that you focus more on the kind of proteins um, of, that these cells express rather than the kind of um, genetic background and things like that. Why, why do you think um, it's more important to focus on the kind of proteome of the cell rather than the gene, genetic um, expression? So I, something I'll talk on today and I hope to convince people of is when we're looking at proteins, we're looking at the functional state of a cell. We're looking at the, we, we like sometimes call them the doing molecules, the molecules physically doing the job, whether they're catalyzing something in a, in a metabolic process, whether they're taking one thing from one place to another, whether they're stopping something coming in the cell, whether they're injecting it out of the cell, these are the molecules doing the work. And 
since I've been in science, we've had really a genetic revolution where all of the technology surrounding monitoring what's happening at the genetic level, whether it be mutations, whether it be your transcriptome, which is sort of how you express these, these genes, that has been just developing nonstop at a technological level, which has been amazing. But what we don't get from that information is the functional state of the molecules that are doing the work in the cell. Are they active? Are they inactive? Are they in the right place? Are they in the right uh, confirmation, folded well? Uh, are they functional? And it's something that's that's coming to the forefront. Um, it's people are actually starting to coin the term proteostasis, which is protein homeostasis. So oh, how do proteins work and how do they sort of occur in their native confirmation and in their native manner? And it's something that's, you know, looking between what I'm doing and what I know quite a lot of other people are doing, it's looking like a could be a really interesting field that's going to expand in the next few decades, we hope. And do you think that this way you could possibly find new kind of drug targets or targets for kind of modifying these cells and trying to make them even healthier? I mean, when you think about the, the drugs that are deployed in the clinic, um, obviously a, a good amount of them are really directed towards our DNA. Um, so lots of cancer um, agents are something that would incorporate into our DNA when cells grow and essentially cause it to be unstable and die. And that's been, you could maybe say, the canon of chemotherapy for the past two decades. But anytime you talk about a small molecule that is inhibiting something, you're normally inhibiting the protein. So whether it's inhibiting a protein that reads DNA and has a function on expressing your genes, whether it's a protein that's uh, blocking degradation, things I'm interested in, uh, whether it's a protein that is pulling something from one place or another, you're generally, when you're looking at small molecule inhibitors, you're quite often hitting the proteins. And at the moment, you know, we're basing that on seeing the gene as opposed to necessarily seeing what the protein's doing. And if we really shine a light on the functional proteins and how they're working in a cell, we'll know specifically which protein at which time is going to be the best to inhibit. And that's why we hope this field is going to continue expanding and be something really interesting for the future. I guess some kind of um, a kind of final question, which is sort of half related to what you, the work that you do specifically, but also generally in terms of how um, stem cells can become these, um, well, blood stem cells can turn into these leukemic cells. Where do you see the kind of future of cancer therapy, more specifically for leukemia heading? Um, is it still going to be more focused on these uh, um, bone marrow transplantations or? Yeah, so I think what is now relatively well understood for leukemia and many cancers that fit the cancer stem cell hypothesis um, is that they are so plastic and by that we mean they're so flexible and changeable they're really coming ahead and saying we designed this amazing drug and it's really the silver bullet that's that's just not going to work it's going to be a personalized medicine approach but on the other hand what we know is that realistically the best outcome for every patient at the moment would be to reduce as much of that tumor burden as possible and give them a bone marrow transplantation and i think the stats are somewhere now that you know you you're expecting 50% to survive to two years, which is, which is actually a very, very good outcome for, for AML nowadays. So we think that when I say we, I mean the broader field, there's a lot of people who've spent their life working on this, that targeted therapies are going to play a very important role in getting us to a point where bone marrow transplantation really is a curative therapy. Um, whether we including that, the genetic engineering, engineering approaches with chimeric T cells, that can attack leukemia, which is also another sort of more closer to a regenerative medicine approach. It's really going to be a combination of things that are much more of a targeted therapy 
personalized to you when you get sick? Okay, that was um, some very interesting answers to my questions. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Stem Cells of Lunch podcast. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing your talk later on. Thank you very much for having me.